Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. You know, how do you get a testimony? Well, you have to start. You have to start. You have to come to Jesus Christ. And then you share it, right? Then you share it. And this is how the kingdom of God proliferates. This is the way it happens. Most of the time, one-on-one, face-to-face, someone sharing the word of God and sharing the word boldly. You know, it's something that I've been asking and we've been praying together about. Last week, I was spending some time at our school and I bumped into one of our school staff. She attends a different local church, but she said, hey, I was walking through the lobby of the church and she stopped right out where that banner is that tells us we're to pray and ask the Lord to enable us to speak the word boldly. And she said, that's so great. And I saw the signs when I'm pulling out of the parking lot. And now I understand what it's all about. And I'm asking the Lord to help me speak the word boldly. And I said, right on. This is great. It's infectious. It's touching other people. And we should be doing it. And I want to keep it in front of us all year. Let's pray the prayer from uh, Acts chapter 4. Pray with me, Lord. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Amen. Amen. Yesterday, we laid to rest one of the boldest speakers of God's word, one of our good deacons, John Anderson. If you knew John, you knew he would tell anybody who crossed his path about Jesus Christ. And as hard of a day as it was to say goodbye It was a grand send-off because John was a a man who had energy to tell others about Jesus. Mostly, he spent a lot of time with the little children, but also he was a chaplain in the hospital. And one of the things that he did was fish. He used fishing as a way to be a fisher of men. And we heard some good fishing stories. And I've got some good fishing stories that I want to share with you. And they'll tie in, you'll see, they'll tie in with where I'm going this morning. Now, I'm not much of a fisherman. Yeah, as a kid, I grew up in St. Clair Shores, and I loved the lake. And we used to go down to the Nine Mile Pier and uh, drown our worms. And if we caught anything, we'd reel in a bottom-feeding carp. And that was about it. Maybe a sheephead from time to time. Neither are good eating, really. I mean, unless you know what you're doing, but I wasn't going to be eating no carp or sheephead. So didn't really learn much about fishing. I'm not that great at it. And one day we were camping up at the Glen Lakes. We thought it would be a good opportunity to take our girls, teach them a little bit about fishing. They were little. I bought all this new stuff, put it in my tackle box. Actually, I think I had to buy a tackle box. I didn't even own one of those. And I invested a lot of money because these fishing lures are expensive and uh, as is all the gear. So we were making our way. We found the perfect spot, talked to some of the locals by this bridge that led out to, to the lake. So it was a little path 
and it was kind of rocky leading down to the lake. And we were single file. And I was going behind Julie as she was walking this path, and her foot caught a root. And she was about to go down. So I let go of the tackle box to try to help her. And it hit the rocks. And there goes all my new stuff into the lake. You know what our sinkers supposed to do? They sink. <laughs> I didn't have many left. I might have had one of those little pebble ones you just wrap around the wire. I had a couple of uh, hooks. You know, the bait fell too, and half of that was gone. It was a mess. But we decided to try to make the best of it. I hooked up a, a, a hook, and no sooner as I had the thing all hooked up, this hook was embedded in Heather's finger, and we had to pull it out, and she's bleeding and crying. It was a disaster. You know what? Sometimes it would, have better, it would have been better to not have gone. It would have been better to uh, maybe have avoided that. But then there are times where maybe you should have gone. So I've got another fishing story. Some of you have heard this. So I apologize for the rerun. But some of you I know haven't. It was October 31st, 2008. This is how much this story is embedded in my mind, indelibly marked memory. It was a beautiful, beautiful October 31st. Autumn day, sun was shining about 72 degrees, perfect. Not a cloud in the sky. I got a call from Rick Lipinski. Let's go fishing. He said, you know, go out in the, his, his boat, and he knows what he's doing, so that's really helpful for me. And I said, Rick, we can't go. Julie's mother had had an operation, and we're going to go to the hospital to visit her. So I got to miss the fishing expedition. Well, we got ourselves ready to go, and we were going to leave for the hospital. And Julie talks to her mom on the phone, and she says, by no means come. Don't even bother. I do not want you here. And, you know, I listen to my mother-in-law, so that's it. <laughs> We're not going. But by now, I've blown my opportunity to go fishing. So what are we going to do? It's a gorgeous day. We throw our bicycle into the back of the van, and we head on over to Dodge Park. This is our beautiful tandem bike. I had it for almost 30 years at that time. Bought it before we got married. Loved it. A great Schwinn 10-speed. And we start tooling around uh, the, uh, the park, Dodge Park, Julie, I, the last words I heard her say to me, she's like, Pat, slow down. No, I dutifully did. Okay, I did, and we slowed down, but there was a little dip and a turn, and the, the tire caught this little patch, this little patch of leaves, and just took the handlebars out of my hand. And like a door on a hinge, wham, we went down. And we looked ridiculous. We landed next to the path. There was all this mud. We were covered head to toe, but only one half. We looked like Halloween creatures. It was perfect for October 31st. Julie was a little beat up on her hands, but pretty good. She was not hurt really bad. And I told her my leg kind of hurt. But great thing was it was a tandem. So I threw my leg over. She did the pedaling. And we got back looking as ridiculous as ever. And long story short, I walked for two weeks on that till I finally was told, you have a serious hip fracture. 
And the surgeon told me, you are so fortunate, your hip just didn't break off. You're walking around, what's wrong with you? And they had to bolt it back together. So now, every time I bring this up to Rick Lipinski, you know what he says? Should have gone fishing. Should have gone fishing. You know, sometimes you shouldn't go, but sometimes you should go. There are times. Now, these little examples, they're just little fun examples, but there are times when you know exactly what you shouldn't do, right? You know it. You know beyond the shadow of a doubt, no, I'm not going to do that. I shouldn't do that. And then there are those times where you know absolutely this is what God's will is. This is what I should be doing. Times you shouldn't, times you should. And when they don't, when, when it goes the opposite way, you know, there can be consequences. You know, there are times when we know the exact will of God. God says, no. What do we say? Go. God says, no. We say, go. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. God said, no, this few square feet here. And what did they say? They said, go. We're going to go to that tree. And what happened? Bad things. Now, sometimes without a doubt, God is saying, go. You need to go here. And how do we respond? Nope, not doing it, not doing it. And that's when we might hear, should have gone. And that's going to be part of my focus this morning. And I'm going to relate it to the cross of Jesus Christ, the way of the cross. We've been talking about that. And traditionally, when someone hears the way of the cross, it is a reference to the last hours of the life of Jesus and what he did from the time he was betrayed till, till the time he was arrested, convicted, and then executed on the cross. But we've been looking at it a little differently from the beginning, from the start. Jesus is the lamb slain from the creation of the world, Revelation 13, 8. And we've seen in the last few weeks We've seen the cross given in the earliest pages of the Bible. The cross is like that tree of life in the Garden of Eden. We've considered, too, that snake that Moses raised up in the wilderness. And how did that represent the cross? It represented sin. And Jesus took on our sin and the penalty for our sin on the cross. Now, last week we saw from Psalm 3, which told us about the foes surrounding the king and taunting him. Let God deliver you, and God will not deliver you. And that was like the, the Jewish leaders who claimed to know God, yet surrounded the cross and taunted his very son. Now, this morning, let's see the cross. Let's see that sign that Jesus explicitly identified because he did. He explicitly identified something from the Old Testament and he said it's all about the cross. Let's look at it. And it kind of relates too to fish stories. You might know where I'm going. Matthew's gospel records it. It's in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 41. This is how it reads. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to Jesus, 
teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus. Jesus is greater than Jonah. There is no doubt about it. But he said, Jonah is a sign. The three days and the three nights of Jonah and the fish, Jesus said these are a sign of his being in the earth three days and three nights. So that's really apparent. But there is more to the sign of Jonah. And I want to look to the record of Jonah and read some of that account. This is Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Give us a little insight into this guy that Jesus was talking about. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So what have we seen here in Jonah? God said, Jonah, go. Jonah, preach against Nineveh because it's wicked. As was the generation of Jesus. What did Jesus say about his generation? It is wicked and adulterous. Now, what does it mean when Jesus used this word adulterous? Is that a reference to all kinds of people that are abandoning their marriages and committing adultery? It's not. This is not a reference to a man or a woman who rejected their spouse and was involved in some illicit affair with another person. No, it was a reference to the rejection of God and the worship of false gods and idols. That's what this reference adulterous means. Jesus was speaking to Pharisees. He was speaking to leaders of the Jewish religion, teachers of the law. They knew well the Old Testament. No doubt they understood what Jesus meant when he said, this is an adulterous generation. The Old Testament scripture, which is uh, the Jewish Holy Writ at the time, our Old Testament, it's full of examples of adultery as a reference to idolatry, as a reference to worshiping false gods. Now, I could read many, many, many examples. One comes to mind, the prophet Ezekiel. Read chapter 16. Just write down that, read, take the time to read Ezekiel chapter 16. In that chapter, Ezekiel portrays God as a kind and loving husband. But then he gives this vivid and graphic depiction of idolatry as adultery. Over and over, Ezekiel uses this image of adultery to portray the worship of idols and of false gods. In Ezekiel 
chapter 16, verse 32, just one example from that chapter, it says, you adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your own husband. Ezekiel was saying, because you're going to these idols, you're going to these false gods, you're going to the way of the world, and all the nations around you, it's like adultery. You're rejecting God, who is pictured here as your husband. Ezekiel wrote of this adulterous generation, and Jesus referenced an adulterous generation, meaning a generation who rejected God. We don't need him. You wicked and adulterous, adulterous generation. You want a sign? You want a sign? Well, here's your sign, Jesus said. The sign of Jonah who was in the belly of the fish for three days and nights. But as I said, there's more to the sign of Jonah than that he was just in that fish for three days and three nights. And before I delve into that, I just want to give you a little side note here. And that is that Jesus is speaking about Jonah. And what's he doing? He's authenticating the record. He's authenticating the account of the prophet Jonah. Jonah's not a myth. You know, this is not some storybook fiction about a guy and a whale. It's not a fish story. Now, Jonah was a real prophet. He's mentioned in 2 Kings 14 as the prophet who prophesied to King Jeroboam II in Israel. And he is the prophet. He's the man who was swallowed whole by a great fish. And Jesus validates this. He validates the narrative about Jonah. And he says there's a sign. Now about this sign, let's look into it. And, and we'll see that the sign of Jonah is an image of Jesus. An image of Jesus going to the cross and dying. That's the way of the cross. And it's an image of Jesus being entombed in the earth. And it's an image of Jesus resurrecting from the dead. Now, number two and three, Jesus being entombed, Jesus resurrecting from the dead, these are readily apparent in the words of Jesus. He nearly spelled it out. Matthew 12, 40. He said it for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so... The Son of Man, talking about himself, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It's an explicit reference to the burial of Jesus. You can't miss it. And his words then allude to the resurrection because the Pharisees knew. The teachers of the law knew the Old Testament well. They knew the account of Jonah. And if you don't know the account of Jonah, after he gets swallowed by the fish and he's in there three days and three nights the fish spits him out alive. Not a very good sight to imagine. Ah, oh, yuck, he must have stunk. He must have, his skin must have been all raisiny. Uh. But he was alive. He was spit out alive after three days and three nights in the belly of the, the fish. And after three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, Jesus came out alive. He walked out of that grave. All right? These references to Jesus and the sign of Jonah, they're quite clear. I want to focus on number one. Jesus going to the cross and dying. This idea of the way of the cross. You know, let's look at this not-so-apparent sign of Jonah 
and see the cross. Let's see the cross of Christ. Now remember, the underlying nature of the city of Nineveh was wickedness. God said to Jonah, go to the wicked city, preach against it. This is a pretty hard thing to do. God's asking Jonah to do something pretty tough. I want you to go to the great city. It's described as a great city in Nineveh. Why is that? It's the capital city of the uh, empire of Assyria. At the time, greatest power on on the face of the earth. Biggest empire. Most powerful. Nineveh, the capital, had over 120,000 people. Some estimate upwards of half a million. It was a prosperous city. It was a proud city. But Jonah, he was a prophet to Israel. He was the prophet to King Jeroboam II. He didn't want to take this long journey to go to Nineveh. Why would they listen to him? He's a foreigner. Are we going to listen to any foreigners who come in and try to tell us what to do? They might kill him. Now, this is a hard assignment. God said, go. Jonah said, no, no. As a matter of fact, Jonah hatched a plan, didn't he, to flee from the Lord. We read that in the first three verses of his book. From Joppa on the coast of Israel, he would go to Tarshish in a ship. Now, where was Tarshish? Its exact location is unknown for sure, but many have pointed to a coastal town in Spain. Very early scholars in the fourth century identified a city on the southwest coast of Spain. Now, what would that make this journey? It would make it a journey to the edge of the known world, about as far as Jonah could possibly go, across the known world, entirely across the Mediterranean, from uh, the east side all the way to the west side, into the North Atlantic. Now, if someone is running from God, this makes sense. It makes perfect sense to me. You know, Jonah wasn't just going to hop a boat to the island of Cyprus. I mean, he could make it there in a day. God would certainly find him there, right? He needed to hatch a plan where he could go far away and God wouldn't find him. So he picked, it seems, the farthest possible place that he could go. Now, how does that point to the cross? How does this point to to Jesus in the cross? Well, Jonah was asked a hard thing. It's obvious it weighed on his mind. You don't just get up and leave your house and home and head to the farthest place on the planet Earth that you know because some trivial issue has arisen in your life. Jonah's assignment was difficult. There was obviously some strain and some pressure associated with it. It was heavy, and he did not want to do it. Now, Jesus also faced a hard thing, didn't he? He faced an unbearably hard thing. He faced going to the cross. And the Gospels record Jesus saying, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He's praying this The night before he's going to get crucified, he knows what's going to come. And Jesus went to pray. Luke's gospel in chapter 22, it records that Jesus was in anguish. And as he prayed, sweat like drops of blood fell from him. Now that's some anguish. That's a pretty heavy load to be carrying. 
And then Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Jesus in his humanity was in anguish, knowing full well what he faced, knowing full well what it meant to be sentenced to death on a Roman cross. But his prayer didn't end with, Father, take this cup from me. He continued to pray, not my will, but yours be done. Now there's a distinction. Jonah didn't pray that. In fact, there's no record as Jonah ran of him praying at all. God said, go. Jonah said, no. And he just ran. And he learned the hard way. Not my will, but your will be done. Because Jonah eventually did the will of God. When he boarded that ship, he went down into the hold and he fell asleep. And it was a sleep so deep, he didn't wake up when the ship hit open water and a storm began to rage. The winds whipped up, the waves whipped up. The entire ship was afraid that, that the ship would break up and sink. So the captain went below and said, hey, wake up. What is wrong with you? How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and call on your God. Well, Jonah got up and he went on deck and the sailors drew lots. They didn't know what was going on. And the lot fell on Jonah. So they said, who are you? Where are you from? What have you done? They bombarded this guy with questions. And finally they said, what should we do to make the sea calm down? Well, Jonah, now he had something to say. This is Jonah chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. Give us a little bit more insight into the man. Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will be calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, what did Jonah learn here? He learned, you cannot run from God. You can't hide from him, no matter how hard you try. You want to alter the express will of God? All the best. But he also had compassion. He wasn't going to let that ship break up and sink. What did he say to those sailors? Throw me in. Sacrifice me. Can you see the sign of Jonah and Jesus going to the cross? Sacrifice me. In, Jonah chapter, or in John chapter 10, Jesus spoke about laying down his life. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. 
He was willing. See, Jesus was willing to sacrifice his life. When he stood before the Roman governor Pilate, Jesus was found to be innocent. Sounds familiar? Same thing on Jonah's boat. The men found him to be innocent. Pilate found no reason to charge Jesus. He said, I can't find anything to, give, to, to hang a charge on this guy. No crime. And Pilate said to Jesus, don't you know, I got the power to set you free or to crucify you. And Jesus replied, you have no power except what's been granted to you from above. And you know what? When Pilate heard those words, he tried even harder to set Jesus free. We read that in John's gospel. But finally, he relented to the desire of the Jewish leaders who were shouting. They were shouting relentlessly, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. It was like the noise of the storm on that boat that Jonah was on. The storm that surrounded him and the sailors, it was unrelenting. And the sailors tried to find another way to deal with Jonah, like Pilate tried with Jesus. And then they said, Lord, don't hold this against us. We're innocent of this. And Pilate washed his hands and he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. But finally, like Pilate who condemned Jesus to the cross, the sailors threw Jonah overboard. Jonah went willingly. He said, pick me up and throw me in. And Jonah must be sacrificed. He must be cast into the deep. And all, all on board the ship will be saved. If he's not sacrificed, they'll perish. So Jonah was cast overboard. And what happened? The sea immediately calmed. And the vessel and all who were on it were saved. The sailors then acknowledged the one true living God. And then Jonah was swallowed by that fish, and he remained in its belly for three days and nights. Now can you see that this points to the, to, to the cross and Jesus' final hours and his ultimate death on the cross as Jesus was being uh, hung on that cross and then his life began to slowly ebb away, the sky grew dark. Like Jonah, who'd been cast in the sea. Jesus, our Savior, he was cast into this sea of unatoned sin. On that cross, he was in this storm of the wrath of God that was raging, a storm that destined all to die. And as Jesus breathed his last, the earth literally began to shake violently. And the great curtain in the temple that separated God's presence from the outside, it tore in two from top to bottom. And Jesus cried out, it is finished. And Matthew's gospel tells us the Roman centurion and all that were with him around the cross, as they experienced that earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and they acknowledged God. And they said, surely he was the son of God. And then the day grew calm. Joseph of Arimathea came with his friend Nicodemus and they took Jesus off the cross and they put him in the tomb, the belly of the earth, 
where he'd stay for three days and three nights. Surely you can see this sign. Surely you can see that Jonah was pointing to the cross of Christ, the sacrifice and the apparent death of Jonah, the storm, the calm, the acknowledgement of God. Now how might we apply that to today? Jesus said, here's the sign of Jonah. He gave us one reference to the three days, but there's more to it. And when we see it, when we see it pointing out the cross, how do we apply that? First, I say to those who've never yielded your life to Jesus Christ at the cross, those who are still living in the wicked and adulterous generation which continues to this day, a generation that rejects God, a generation that says no to God a prosperous and proud and independent generation, always saying, don't need you, God. You can run. You can run all you want. You can try to hide from God. But I'm telling you, eventually, a day of reckoning is going to come. Are you willing to go to the cross? Jonah Willingly gave his life. Throw me over, he said, giving up his life. Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever will lose their life for me will find it. Jonah gave up his life. I don't think he knew or had any inkling that it was going to save his life. But we do. We've got the inkling. We've got the good news. Give up our life. Give up our connection to this wicked and adult generation. And the only place to lose your life is at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ where Jesus willingly took on the penalty for sin, for the sin of all of mankind, where he willingly paid the price for your sin, where he willingly did what we sung about this morning, that he was ransomed for our sin and where he died to win us eternal life. All have sinned. All need what Jesus won on that cross. Jonah said while he was there in the storm, I know that it is my fault. He acknowledged his wrong. We need to acknowledge our wrong and be willing to deal with it and willing to go to the cross of Christ. All of us who were born in that storm of sin, the only way out is to willingly and volitionally go to the cross of Jesus where that awful storm of sin can be stilled. It can be calm. And souls of those who receive that sacrifice of Jesus, they're brought into a safe harbor of rest, rest for your souls, saved from eternal death and granted eternal life. Now, a second point of application for this this sign of Jonah in the way of the cross, it's to us Christians. It's to us who've already acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Those of us who have said, yes, we've gone to the cross of Christ willingly. And we said, yes, I repent of my sins. We've said, I know it's my fault. I'm the one who's done these sins and I received the grace of eternal life. And yes, I say I'm a Christian and been baptized and experienced similarly a sign of Jonah buried in that water. 
raised to walk in newness of life like we've seen this morning. Now life with Jesus is about being a disciple. It's about being a follower of Jesus. Life with Jesus, it's not here and there. It's not hither and yon. Life with Jesus is daily. Daily going to the cross. Daily going to the cross to surrender. Do you willingly go to the cross daily after you've said yes to Jesus? Are you willingly going to the cross daily? It's a choice. It's a choice between self-centeredness and Christ-centeredness. Said Jonah was resistant to God. He had to learn the hard way. He had to learn through the storm of his life to lose that attitude of self-direction, to lose that attitude of self-ego. He, he had to lose that attitude of when God says, go, I say no. That was the attitude of the original sin of Adam and Eve. We got to lose the attitude of self. We got to lose the attitude of resistance and running from God when some kind of storm in life would come up. We got to lose that attitude of resistance exhibited by Jonah and daily go to the cross, daily go to the cross. It's about living daily with the prayer of Jesus. Father, not my will. Not my will. Your will be done. Jonah learned that tough lesson. Recognize the sign of Jonah. See the image of the cross and avoid the storm. Every day, not my will. Every day, make it daily. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. In the areas of sin and wrongdoing where we're being tempted and pulled, help me, Lord, help me. Help me, Father. I'm not doing your will. Help me, Lord. Your will be done. Your will be done. Deliver me from the evil one. In the areas where we spend our time, how and where we serve, how we spend our money and use our resources. Father, your will be done. Your will be done in my life. When you come to that daily, when you come to the foot of the cross daily, surrendering yourself, it's not a place of defeat. It's not a place of loss. It's a place of victory. And it's a place of winning. Victory over the enemy that would lure us into the storm of our life. Victory over the enemy that would have us say no to God when God says go. Daily. Christians daily. That's the sign of Jonah that points to the cross of the Christ that we need to be living out. We've been singing about the grace of God and chains being gone. I know that when we go to the cross for the first time, that chain of sin and the penalty of death, it's gone. But the enemy is seeking to bind us up again. The enemy is seeking to lay those chains on us again. And daily, Christians, 
We need to be at that cross saying, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Let's stand and sing and pray as we go. If there's anyone in here, anyone in this room who's never yielded your life to Jesus, you've never seen the, the, the real truth in being set free. You can be set free from this wicked and adulterous generation, a generation that would want your soul to, to burn forever, a generation that would want your soul damned to hell forever and eternity while you're having fun in the world. If you've never seen that Christ can save you from that, he will. And I encourage you today to, to make that decision. It's a choice that's wholly yours to say like Jonah, it's my fault. Lord, help me. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. That's what Jonah did. Gave it up. And if you've never done that this morning, I encourage you to do that to win everlasting life. And Christians, if you're not going to the cross daily, saying, Lord, thy will be done, we can pray that we'll, we'll receive the help that we need. And as we sing, if, if you want to come to these altars, they're open for you. You're invited to come. You're invited to talk to the Lord and seek his help. And we have others that would come and pray with you. We have workers who'd come and take time to pray with you and join you in prayer and say, yes, let's pray. Yes, I struggle with saying your will be done too. And I'll pray with you. And together we can be overcomers and we can be free from bondage, sin, hell, and death and the chains of the enemy because of the grace of Almighty God. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for showering us with the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving our souls. God, thank you. We could never repay that debt. Thank you for Jesus who did it all for us. Bless us with his presence as we go. Bless us with his presence throughout the week. Carry us, God, through any storm that might come our way. May we continue to yield to you and say your will be done. And God, Help us to be a witness for you and your kingdom. So boldly speak the word of God unabashed, without shame, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And do everyone with that power from on high to bring the testimony by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony and win others to the cross of Christ. Thank you, God. May that blessing be ours this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.